You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abrocha, this is a special Chuvasa Poiskim return to Chesidah Shepsak. Uh, it's a series that, as I uh, indicated in the email, was actually attracted a lot of attention. Many people felt it was a desiratum to actually have a shiurim that dealt seriously with the chassidim, not as just rebbes and tzaddikim and people that were bali moifes, but uh, in a way to see them as the gedolei hayro as well. Um, and we've tried to focus in the past on them. We we spoke about. Uh, uh, Rabbi Warch, who was here with us, and I'll talk a little bit more about him in a second, uh, gave us a shir uh, last year on the Bnei Yisosko, uh, We've also we've highlighted the Alter Rebbe. We've highlighted um, uh, many who were Chassidish, but not necessarily Rebbes, uh, like Rabbi Yosef Engel, Rabbi Shaklirs, uh, of course the Sochachov, Rabbi Nezo, and the Munkacher. Uh, among others that we have tried to highlight and to find a, a path of what is distinctive about Chesidah Shepsak and in another way, what makes it actually very similar to what standard halachic, halachic procedure and Piskei Dinamar. Um, today, we're dealing with uh, something that is uh, a personage that I believe is, as I said, in the, in the blurb, venerated across the Orthodox Jewish spectrum. No one says, oh, it's a chesidish psak, the Rechaim's psakim are taken very, very seriously and are analyzed uh, throughout uh, the whole Jewish spectrum. And as Rabbi Warch, I think, is going to demonstrate, uh, is actually a paradigm for future generations. The Rechaim, Zechot Tzadik, Kodesh, Rebrocha. Rabbi Warch uh, is a person who uh, is extremely well-versed in, in not only Devei Chaim, but much of Hasidic literature and Piskei Dinim. Uh, he serves as the director of the Illinois Center of Jewish Studies, and we thank that institution for allowing Rabbi Warch uh, to uh, address us. Um, the, the topic is uh, called Vihizartem Lafuke, Gedorim and Siogis, which are totally Jewish, but uh, an essential phenomenon. The Shir is dedicated uh, on one level, of course, to the Rafuish Shlema for all Chayla Yisrael and Yitzrochim, and they unfortunately abound. But specifically, Rabbi Warch has agreed, it's obviously something that is close to my heart, but I, I, I need to mention um, the, uh, that it's the Yorzeit this coming week of my mother, Oloshalem, Be'lebas Yoel Halevi, and the Pusik that stands for her, which is Be'ez and Aleph, is a Pusik in Yermio, as you can see here, um, that's a posik that even though it starts with the word but if you take a look in the psukim that preceded the Nirmio, you can see on the board that it's this is really the Geula posik. This is a parak in Yirmio where Yirmio is actually talking about bringing in uh, the Geula Yisrael when he speaks about how Klau Yisrael Kodesh Baruch will do that that Hoshi Hashem as Amecha Sheres Yisrael, and then he may be Samaret Sofoin, the Kibatz de Miyarkes Eoretz, Bom Ivro Pisea, Chorob Yehledes Yachtov. Everyone is going to be able to come from the most far flung regions. Akal Godo Yeshuvo Heino, 
They're going to come b'fchi yavo. On one hand, the struggle is going to be great. The struggle that allows them to come is they're going to have tears of satisfaction and happiness, uh, tears of the pain that it took to get there over tachnunim. And of course, you don't get there at Yisrael. We don't get the Geula unless we have the Hishananus, the Bakoshes, the, the pleading with God that God says, I take that and Oivile, you bring that to me. I use that as your highway. That ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has always been a father to us and a Ephraim, even that element that and somehow, especially the element stands for Abbasarit So this is a Pasuk that I've used to, to be, give a Zikaran to my mother, but of course it also is important, I think, for today, because uh, my her grandson, um, Chaim Eliezer, my son, is making Aliyah, and of course it is, for him, of course, Kibatzta Miyarkis Eoretz, and as I indicate in this week, the Parsha that he's making Aliyah, which is this Mitzay Shabbos, Parshas Rei, the Psukim there underscore um, the importance of what it means to live in Eretz Yisrael, what it means, and specifically, not only whether it's the Beis HaMikdosh or the Ha'ora of Torah that comes from there, uh, that is the, the reason why, although to his grandmother and grandfather, Getting entrance into Eretz Yisrael was denied. It was their firmest hope and desire. How they survived the Holocaust was by running and trying to make a beeline to Eretz Yisrael through uh, uh, through those areas of Georgia and other places, and they weren't able to get into Eretz Yisrael. And afterwards, after the war, when in the in the midst of the decimation and destruction, they were also unable uh, to get into Eretz Yisrael. They had a, a child, my sister, who was ill, and they weren't able. Uh, the Israeli government uh, that was being formed uh, did not want to allow a person of, that was ill into Eretz Yisrael. And because of that, um, that was denied them. Now their grandchildren uh, are able to go uh, to actually, as the Apostle says, <speaking in Hebrew> And the simachtem of Hashem alikeichem, atem b'neichem b'neiseichem. So Baruch Hashem, I think it's very tzugipast that these two things are placed together, the pasuk. And I thank again Rabbi Warch for giving us something so important and so crucial that uh, will, I think, help us really understand our whole place in chul, so to speak, and chutzlarts, our interaction with the non-Jewish world and how the giant, like the Divrei Chaim, are lighting the way. Rabbi Warch. Thank you, thank you. And uh, this should be a zechus for Neshama uh, Shalhav um, and Aliyah, and the success for your children. So uh, when when we were talking about maybe um, going through a tshuva from the Divrei Chaim, so immediately the first um, thought was to do this tshuva, which is, in Chelek Aleph of Yoridea Simon Lamed, where the Divrechaim deals with essentially this is the question. In in those days, there's always new stuff coming out. There's always the new fad, whether it's a fidget spinner or a hula hoop. So in those days, there was this cap or hat that the women would wear in 
um, you know, out, out in the streets. And the question was, could Jewish girls, could Jewish girls and Jewish women wear such a cap? Now, the, the issue was, and we're going to get more into the technical aspects of the question. Um, the issue was, you know, does the general prohibition of behaving in the ways of the nations of the world, does that apply to this instance of the cap? And, and part of that question is, does the cap have religious identity? Does it have, what is the meaning behind it, which we'll get to. But at first, I want to talk about some of the, um, what stands out about this response more than any of the others. So I want to start with the following, is that I, I think when looking at the Divrei Chaim, and uh, Rabbi Kivalevitz pointed this out um, earlier, that the Divrei Chaim is seen not just as, okay, he's a Hasidish Rebbe who has rulings. He's up there amongst all the great decisors of the last few centuries. He's up there on the list of all the great postkim that people will turn to for Jews, almost, um, almost not even considering the fact that he was a Hasidish Rebbe. But at the same time, he was a Hasidish Rebbe. And, and I think that rather than these being two independent things, which was whether he happened to be a Hasidish Rebbe and he happens to be a, a great person, a Gadol Batora, who can, who can issue creative and, 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 uh, and upright rulings in halacha, for him, they actually go together. For him, for the Divrei Chaim, you could see how much of the fact of who he was in his perspective on life, how much that went into his rulings in, in, in Halacha Lamaisa for how he decided things. And we'll see an example of this here. And I think that that's going to have an effect on later poskim as well, who are going to also um, use this approach of the Divrei Chaim, uh, where, where they will put in a hashkafic perspective and use that as part of a halachic decision. So before we get to the psakim, I think, I think even more interesting than the question itself is the controversy that surrounded this question. Because what had happened originally when the, um, when the Divrei Chaim was approached about the wearing of this cap so he declared it to be prohibited. And by the way, not to give away the whole tshuva, but you should expect that at the end, the Divrei Chaim, the Hasidic Shaposek, is going to prohibit the wearing of this hap or cat. And not, not, it's not a spoiler. That's kind of what we should expect. But, but when he did come out and sort of rule that this cap may not be worn, um, some of the enemies of the Divrei Chaim went and reported him to to the authorities, I have this in the writings of my great uncle or Kuna Halpern, who is um, as my great uncle. He's also a descendant of the Divrei Chaim, and he has in his sefer he has this tradition that the Divrei Chaim um, was got into trouble for this ruling because basically the way it was reported about the Divrei Chaim was that he had banned the wearing of these hats because they're not sneers. Whatever that means, we're, we're very familiar with that term, um, uh, even though we may have different def definitions of it. But essentially, they, they went to the authorities and said that the Divrei Chaim 
and doesn't allow Jewish girls to wear this because it's not sneers, it's not appropriate for women to wear it. And therefore, they saw what the Tibrechaim was doing as a statement about the society in general that the Gentiles of that society were not sneers. They were not appropriate. They were not moral. And that's why we couldn't wear their clothing. So it was reported that the Tibrechaim was saying that the Jews dress appropriately and non-Jews don't dress appropriately. And so the authorities were upset with the Tibrechaim. So he actually had to issue this tshuva in a sort of public way to explain himself, to, um, to explain himself why He's giving this ruling, but yet at the same time, he in no way means to insult um, the, the nations that we were living amongst. But he's not the first person to do this. He's not the first person to get into trouble and have to write some kind of disclaimer. But as, a, as, as you can be seen, I'd like to read to you a sort of paraphrase from the disclaimer that, that it's, it's, it doesn't feel like he's just doing it in order to cover for any complaints against them, but it feels like he's actually meaning what he says. And as a result of this disclaimer, I think we end up learning a Torah idea from the disclaimer that's maybe even more important than the ruling over the hat, um, which hopefully we'll get to. So let's start with the following. Um, says the Divrechayim, nashiv. before I answer the question on the hat, so, I need to give two introductions, and I'll just um, explain these introductions outside, although I'll read some parts inside. Introduction number one is that we have a prohibition of not um, behaving in the ways of the nations of the world. And many people may read that as us looking down at the nations, that we're somehow better than the nations. And, and he says that's not the case. In fact, it, none of it, no ruling that we ever have in, would ever involve us degrading or denigrating the honor of the nations that we are living in. And he brings an interesting Kabachomer from, from the Egyptians. We know that the Egyptians, because they hosted us, we are told, Al-Tasayev Mitzri, Lo-Tasayev Mitzri, don't despise the Egyptian. And, and, and even though they enslaved us and they made us suffer, we still have to go that far. So then he says about our nations, So how much more so? The nations that we are shaded by them, they protect us. And Hashem has... And given favor of, um, uh, in their eyes. They're certainly, they're not making a heavy burden upon us. There's a lot of people who would do horrible things to us if it wasn't for the government that's protecting us. And then he continues with very complimentary terms. They love kindness. And they honor Torah. He's talking here about you know, Poland, Galicia. He's talking here about you know, Eastern Europe in the early 19th century. And he's saying that, that they are good people. And Yishalem Hashem Hashem should reward them. So as a result of this, none of this should be seen as um, us degrading their honor. 
And he says, it's not even meant to keep us away from interacting with them. And he lists all these rabbis in the Gemara who had personal relationships with the government. So then the question is, if, if the nations of the world are also honorable and esteemed people, then why are we looking at their clothing as essentially wrong? Now, what I mean is like this. If you're going to learn, if you're going to learn that the Goyim wear not nice clothing because the nations of the world are immoral, if you're going to read that way, then fine. Then it makes sense why we wouldn't wear any of their clothing. Because, because they are an immoral people, and emulating them would therefore make us immoral. But if you're describing like what the Dibra Chaim just described, that the nations of the world, although there are many of them who hate Jews and want to kill Jews, but generally speaking, they're good people and moral people who want to do the right thing, then why would we say, nope, we can't wear that cap because the Goyim wear that cap? So says the Dibra Chaim, a fascinating concept. He says, "Verak only, ki Hakadosh Baruch Hu ratzal litin Torah kedusha laaretz." Hashem wanted to give the Torah to the world. Hashemayim shemayim laHashem, right? Heaven is heaven to laaretz, not some of neyadam. And in the earth, Hashem gave the Torah to earth, but it didn't need to be the Jews. God went to all the nations and offered them, "Would you like the Torah?" And they all refused. So at this much, says the Dibrechai, and you're going to have to grant me that we accepted the Torah, and our tradition is that the nations didn't. And yes, we are going to hold at least that much over, over the nations of the world. They didn't accept the Torah, and as a result, there's certain differences. What are those differences? He says that we have accepted the Torah, and therefore Yisrael Nanashim, we get punished. And, and, and don't say this is something that I, the Dibra Chaim, have invented. It's a verse in the book of Amos. There it says, It's you, the Jewish people, who I have known, who I have formed a relationship with, and therefore I'm going to punish you. Meaning, says the Dibra Chaim, as Jews, because we accepted the Torah, we have standards that in other nations of the world are simply not expected to keep. And those are, and here's what he says, He says, the nations of the world are prohibited from adultery. The Jewish people are prohibited from adultery. The Jewish people are prohibited from being haughty and rebelling against God. And we, the Jewish people, are prohibited from being haughty and rebelling against God. The only difference is they're only prohibited from adultery and they're not obligated to make fences to prohibit things that aren't actually themselves a prohibition. As his language is, thank you, they only have seven commandments, and they don't have to add things to it, which would mean, for example, I mean, what the, the Divra Chaim is passing, is that we know that one of the reasons why there are poskim who say that we should not go, let's say, let's use an example, the beach. The beach is typically a place where people will not dress appropriately, 
usually that's the case. Let's go certainly in summertime. And so it, there would be a problem with going to the beach. Now, this is not a halachic psak on this question. So talk to your local Orthodox rabbi about your own personal situation. But 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 that would be the question. So what would be wrong? What would be the problem? I'm not going to do anything wrong at the beach. Yes, but we understand that for Jewish people, that because we have to build boundaries and fences, we don't even look at things that can cause our minds to wander into prohibited places, which may eventually lead us to commit some kind of sin. That's a fence that we are required to make. But but the nations of the world, ain't mitzuv and together, they simply are not commanded to add fences. And as a result, they are entitled to and and uh, and absolutely permitted to walk along all the way till the edge, right at the edge of boundary of sin, and they're not obligated to make that fence. Now, before we go on, that itself is an, an incredible ruling from the Divrei Chaim. It explains um, his point, which is that no, 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 the hat itself is not immoral. But the hat is going to fall into the category of fences that a Jew has to make in order to avoid falling into something which will eventually lead to immorality. And although that may be true of the nations of the world as well, which is that this hat may eventually lead them into morality, immorality as well, but they don't have to worry about it. That's not, that's not a concern that they need to have. And so here you have the Dibrechaim who who is giving this. Um, ruling about the greatness of the Jewish people being that as a result of our acceptance of the Torah, we're now bound by these boundaries, which actually makes us have different rules of what's considered moral or immoral than the nations of the world. And so this is how the Dibrechaim would justify, for example, even today, Bisman Azeh, the, the Dibrechaim would rule that many of the clothing that we might wear today I, I, we didn't discuss this, but uh, you know, I, I would use as an example maybe the the cap and gown of graduation, where the divrechayim would would uh, again we haven't gotten into the halachic rulings yet, but but that would be a, something that would still exist today as a question of something that the nations of the world would do, and so we 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 would have to avoid it because the, even if you could argue that for them it's not immoral, but the rules are off into this place afterwards where he talks about, and, and maybe, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not so convinced by it, this idea that that the, the sort of the defense, that the reason why the Jewish people have these extra fences is because we, we're, we're you no know, naturally Jews are a very, um, a very brazen nation. And so we need these rules in order so, to keep us moral. Common is, as we, we, we discussed very briefly this, Chuva. And Benny, you can you can ring in on this as well. This sounds very much like a Pelagio, right? In other words, right? In other words, we need it more because we're worse than you guys, right? We right. we're the ones yeah. that have we we, we Beteva, again. The truth is, I can't really deny that it seems to be true based on you know you, you don't need much of a ear to to know or an eye to see that this seems to be true that we seem to have a teva towards uh, Gaius and Azus. Etc. But even to the point here where it says Neof and Gezel, that that the Yidden, like this sounds something like uh, Dickens would be very happy to hear, right? <laughs> that those Jews were much closer, or Shakespeare were much closer to Neof and Gezel, and therefore we needed to have more. The Torah had to give us those Xeros. Um, It does sound a little. 
I, I, yeah, a, a although, you know, I, I don't really picture Fagan and Shylock. I, I think it's just you see from the success of the of the Jewish people. I, I think you can see that from our success that we we are an exception. Well, again, again, like I said, but the negative, I, 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 I don't want to put a, a stumbling block in you, but it does sound almost Mendelssohnian in his like his Mendelssohn's um, uh, apologetic explanation of why we need mitzvahs and the non-Jews don't. Uh, especially look at this line coming up. Right? I don't know. Donald Trump might give you an argument on that. First of all, it's a national kind of thing. Yeah, I understand. And, and, and that's what we're saying. Yeah, the Jewish people. But I, I also, I'm not... It feels it feels like he put that in. You know, the way he starts it off is V'yeshla Hasber Adavar. You know, I, I'm going to add a kind of thought because because in the end, someone's going to ask the question. Someone is going to ask that question. Okay, well, you Jews, you ha- you accepted these rules, so you have these additional offenses. But why do you need the additional offenses? Right. So clearly, there's something wrong with you that you need the additional offenses, and he's conceding that. But yeah, I, you know, I I don't know if it's necessary. I, I don't know if it's necessary. For, to say that in order to explain or or to say what he in general wants to say, which is that the Jews have different rules, you could have just said we have different rules because we accepted a higher level of uh, a, a, of a standard of living. Right? We we accepted a higher level of expectation, and so that's what it is. I I, I, I agree. I don't know if we need that part, so I'm just going to kind of run through that part. <laughs> but essentially, that's what he says. But but I like what he says at the end of it, which I think is important, which is. Um, it's not because the nations of the world we don't look down at Gaim and I, I want to emphasize this point because if you go to the Hasidic communities today I think you will find that they do look down at Gaim so I don't think he means that, that we shouldn't see any difference I think he means here that you cannot degrade. In other words, even if you think that someone is lesser or someone is not as holy, it should never take you to the place where you think of anyone as less than human or unentitled to honor and respect and basic decency. They just may not be entitled to the additional higher level of respect that you would give to those who you would consider to be within your own circle, those who you revere. But he does say, we recognize the good they do for us. And when Mashiach will come, they will receive the reward for the kindness to us. And then, um, then he adds in a second disclaimer. I, I don't think it's important for us for the, the purpose of the tshuva, but I'll just for historical purpose kind of put it in. I think that it's, it's an interesting idea. Because one of the other points that they were making was that the Divrei Chaim is just some rabbi living in this town of Tzans. Who entitles him to, to lay down the law? So he's pretending to be some kind of authority in a country where the country has not given him authority. So that's why he has to put in the second disclaimer. And he says, I'm just telling people who want to know, what does the Torah say about this? I'm not telling people what to do, and I'm certainly 
certainly not compelling people what to do. He says, we're not going to force anyone to follow this. Which I find kind of surprising. He says, we're not even going to embarrass people into keeping our rulings. Which, I, put it simply, I'm not sure I believe this line. Right? I can't imagine that if the Divrei Chaim writes at the end of this tshuva that anyone caught with such a hat is going to get lashes biblically. I can't see anyone in this community being comfortable walking around in such a hat. But 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 his, his point is, he's saying, people come to me, they're asking me, what does the Torah say? So I'm telling them what the Torah says. So all of this is the background that he gives to defend himself from those who claimed that he was a... Um, degrading the nations, and two, that he was trying to be an authority to his own, so both of those he rejects with those two disclaimers. But again, before we go to the to the Psakim, I think that even if the Divrachayim would have stopped here, we would have received this incredible gem of, te- of a teaching from the Divrachayim who says that the nations of the world, halacha olamaisa, Today, as in every day, they're not required to build fences and to put boundaries up against prohibitions, which is an amazing idea. Okay, but let's get to the to the actual tshuva. So, of course, what we're dealing with here is the halachic um, um, question of how to understand when the Torah tells us, you shall not go in their ways. So, we... You know, reading all these different opinions is, is going to get a little confusing. Let me lay out basically the different opinions and what they say. The, this became a big question with the the, the tshuva of the Ma'arik. The question there of the Ma'arik, uh, without getting on, on all the details of that, was essentially doctors used to wear a uniform. And and you know, the, the uniform of the doctors was was not necessarily a religious um, garment, but it was seen as something which gave you the esteem of a doctor. It was seen as a as a as a I want to say a, a, a cl- an article of clothing of pride and and esteem and power and and uh, and uh, and privilege. But it wasn't it wasn't necessarily religious in that way, and so the Marik ruled that that you'd be allowed to wear it. So the question becomes like this uh, again: to to um, without question, everyone is going to agree that if you're wearing any article of clothing, which is an article of clothing that nations of the world wears. And there is some element of negativity in there. I think you're highlighting the Hashash, Pritzus Veniuf Omine Shachatz, which is probably should be Sheketz, but they didn't use that word, so they used the word Shachatz instead. But it means anything that actually has a negative connotation in the clothing. If you're doing it because you want that negative connotation, meaning if there's a, a if there's a uniform that makes you look special and you're wearing it because you want to look special too then everyone agrees that that's a problem. So he says, you're underlining, right? So anything which is openly, in a way, inappropriate clothing to wear, without question, if you're wearing it for that intention, then it's definitely prohibited. The question would be, if there's an article of clothing which doesn't necessarily bring with it anything inappropriate, 
but but you're still doing it in order to look like them. So he says, in Mashikas of Marik, the Marik writes, in Lonis Chavenli is Damas Lagoy Mutter. So he says that the Marik writes that if you're not doing it because you want to dress like the nations, you want to dress like the guy, um, but and therefore it's allowed, and the Marik allows this person to wear the doctor's uniform, says the Divrechayim, but that's only in Kavanaso, Rakmushin to Allah's Amoil, that's only where you're doing it. You're not doing it in order to emulate them. You want to look like a doctor. You want to be able to make money. You want patients to come to you in order to, and so in order to do that, you have to wear the uniform. The uniform isn't in order to emulate the nations. You, you wouldn't wear it at all if it wouldn't mean um, that you need it for your business. And therefore, says the Debrechayim, that's a different kind of case. Because clearly you're not doing it in order to emulate the nations of the world. But when our girls are wearing that cap, um, in, in, and when our um, girls are wearing that cap, they're doing it to emulate the nations of the world. Furthermore, he says, meaning towards the bottom of that, right? meaning that even if, if, if the Goyim are doing it for a bad purpose, if this is meant to be somehow a clothing of pride or immorality, then it's going to be prohibited even if you're doing it for money or for some other purpose. So again, let me, let me sum it up what we've read is that if the nations of the world are doing it for inappropriate reasons, and you're doing it for the same inappropriate reasons, everyone disagrees, everyone agrees it's prohibited. If the nations of the world are doing it for inappropriate reasons, and you're doing it to emulate them, that's also, everyone is going to agree it's prohibited. The question would be, if they're doing it maybe for their boastful and prideful purposes, which they are not prohibited, from doing. There's no problem with a non-Jewish woman walking outside in specifically wearing clothing intended to attract men. I'm not saying that that's the reason why women dress. I'm saying even if a woman decided that that's what she wanted to do, that would be allowed because they don't have these boundaries. Now, a Jewish girl couldn't do it even if she has no such intentions. If as long as she's doing it to emulate the nations of the world, which is why they're doing it, why else are these women wanting to wear these caps that the non-Jewish women wear? The Bach and the Marik is be'en kavanaso lehizdamos mutar. He says the best you'll get is that if even if the nations of the world are doing it for for um, for wrong reasons, if you're doing it for the right reason, maybe we'll get you a, a hatter. But there's no real benefit in these hats. It's only in Kavanaso Lizdamos Mutter if you're not trying to emulate the nations. But the reason why these Jewish girls want to wear these hats is because it's the fashion of the times. And so if you're doing it because it's the fashion of the time, then, then that's prohibited. Furthermore, furthermore, he quotes a long um, cite from the, from the Kiryat Sefer. I'm not going to read the whole thing inside, but essentially it comes out at the end of this paragraph. That the, the, the Kirya Sefer is going to hold, that wearing clothing that the nations of the world wear, even if you're not trying to emulate them, it's just comfortable and it looks nice. It's prohibited. It says, in fact, even if they're no longer wearing this, me, um, 
מצד קבלס חכמים שהאומס הראשונים עשו כן לחוק ועשו ישראל ללך בדרכם. Even if in the old days they used to wear this clothing as a kind of non-Jewish article of clothing, um, there, therefore it, it continues to be a problem. So now I'm going to stop here before we go on. Um, so I always thought that, that this tshuva of the Dibrechaim would apply personally. I thought it would apply to the issue of cap and gowns at graduation, as I mentioned before. I mean, why do we wear a cap and gown at graduation? Why does anyone wear a cap and gown at graduation? Because that's what the world does. That's the only reason. So there are those who want to argue, since the cap and gown didn't have religious connotations, which, if someone looks up the history of the cap and gown at graduation, it may have had religious um, 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 associations earlier um, in earlier back in time. But today, there's nothing Jewish about it. So you're only doing it in order to emulate the nations of the world. But you're not doing it for the purpose of emulating them, meaning you're not trying to emulate them. You just happen to be emulating them by doing what it, um, what you're doing. So this, would you agree, um, Ram? Yeah, so, would... well, look, well, well, put this way. Listen, this Humra of the Bach, or the Mabit, I'm sorry. Um, you know, Rav Moshe basically is a Marik person, right? Rav Moshe, the Poisik Zbanein, was a Marik person, when, whether it comes to Thanksgiving or some of the other Chuvas that Rav Moshe has dealt with it. Benny, you could, you could uh, back me up on this. The problem with the Marik is, is that you have to do your history research. You have to do your history research uh, to discover what was the site of this derech, right? According to Marik, you have to look at, oh, was this about Avedo Zora? Was this about Pritzos? Right? So you have to basically, especially since sometimes, Kalman, the records are not so clear, and it's not so obvious. There are certain things which are on the, on the, on the border in terms of figuring that out, whether it's, right. it's based on, oh, is this Pritzos? Or is this right? about something they're not even doing anymore, right? But originally, right, he says, they're not even doing this anymore. But Vibalt at that time, it would, you know, it would have been, it would have been part of their style, even though there's no goyim in the world who are even wearing that style anymore, except in, like you say, in some special ridiculous occasion. It would still be us or for us. That sounds right. right. So I, I would say, you know, wearing clothing that was considered the style in the back in the 1920s and the 1930s. So to reintroduce that, there isn't anyone alive wearing those clothing, that, that clothing today. But yeah, that would still be... But I, I, think, I think as much as you're right about the Marik, which, which I, yeah, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm saying the Divre Chaim certainly doesn't, is reading it the way he's reading it, right? There's no question that the Divre Chaim is not ambiguous about his intentions and about, about what he wants. So I, I'm, I'm saying, to me, it seems clear that according to this Divre Chaim, he would consider the cap and gown of graduation to be a biblical prohibition subject to lashes. I would say even wearing a regular suit, wearing a regular Yekisha suit would be a problem, according to the different time, right? What do you say? I, 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 don't, I don't know how, 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 where you're seeing the suit, because he's still talking about um, clothing that becomes like a choke. You still need some kind of choke about it. You need, it needs to become a fixed kind of fashion or, or some kind of official um, association with something. I, I, think, I don't think the, the suit would qualify. I think the suit is like blank and default clothing. I, I don't think it would qualify as this. Um, I, I, right, I, I but let's, that, let's say originally, Kalman, when they were 
um, when the fashions were changing and short jackets and other things started to come up and Jews in Germany and other places would say, hmm, I do want to look like a normal businessman and they don't go with the long begotten anymore. They have differences, right? So that would have been, look, I, I got to do business. I got to go into the world. And he's saying that if, 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 if you're doing it with his Dhamma Islam, because you want to be like them, even though it, it could be like the Marik, you could say it's Osmamai. But based on the Mabit, it, it sounds like that would be Osir, right? Right, because, but it's still, I, I'm not going to give in, a, I think you're right, but not regarding the suit. I think I think that's going to go back into, that. that's just regular clothing. If there would be like a, a flower in the lapel or, or something which is of the time. An ascot. Right, all right, or or right, or a tuxedo. What about tuxedos by Hasanas? Right, that would yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I think you're right. I think a, a tuxedo at a wedding w- may be like the cap and gown at a graduation, where what once again I'm saying it would be a biblical prohibition subject to 39 lashes. That's how we that's how serious, but then he says that there were people who argued that since there are already um, Jews in Germany who are wearing this cap that we can't even call it non-Jewish clothing because there are Jews in Germany who dress this way. So he says, don't say, the cave in the Genhochos by Medinas Ashkenaz, since they wear this in Germany, so therefore it doesn't qualify as Gentile clothing. So he says, we don't look at a different nation and we don't look at a different country. The standards for morality and immorality and what, what clothing is considered to be Jewish and non-Jewish is only based on the locale of the place that you're living in. And then he says, you know, I spent years living in Marin by his father-in-law, the Baruch Tam of Leipzig, and I was there in, in that those German communities, and there weren't women wearing any inappropriate clothing. And so therefore, the Debrechaim takes the conclusion, I'll read the last line, and then go back and make another point, but um, therefore, um, the Isir b'mekomo, the prohibition remains in its place. over, someone who wears this cap, lokem in the Torah will get lashes according to the Torah. Therefore, I say that according to biblical law, we're not allowed to wear even one article of clothing, which is considered inappropriate if it's in the ways of the nations of, of the world. So once again, I, I, I think that this is a, a great example of where the, the, the Divri Chaim is not just using his halachic psakim, his ability to decide the law based purely on an analysis of the Gemara and the Sugya, but in this case, as a chassid and as a rabbi who understands the situation that he's in and understands the community that he's in, he understands that these rulings are not only intended as theoretical, how should we do things in a theoretical world, but these are actual rulings that are going to affect the Jewish people for the next few hundred years. And uh, you know, we know that the Divrei Chaim was, was, besides for being this great postic, he also had a, a derech, a psak in ruling, as I was uh, um, we were discussing this, uh, um, the, the idea that the Divrei Chaim has in a number of places where he gives rulings that he refuses to defend or to explain and give the reasons for. Most famously, the machine matzahs. Um, the Divrechaim um, prohibited um, machine matzahs, called them chametz gamur, 
in and amongst his descendants and followers, the machine masters, even today's machines, are still considered chametz gamor. And, and you wonder because so many rabbis gave rulings hundreds of years ago, and they're not still kept. And the Divrechaim gave this ruling, and people still adhere to it with the same reverence and seriousness as they did in 200 years ago. And the reason is primarily because the chametz chaim, because the, sorry, the Divrechaim didn't give his reasons. He didn't say why. For example, if you would have said, because the machine's this, the machine's that, we would have said, well, we've got different machines. We've got different, but because he didn't give those rulings, his ruling could have come, he didn't give the reasons for the rulings. It could have come from any place. And so he's kind of using his rebishkeit, which is a right to make a decision about the perspective of the halacha as seen from the viewpoint of someone who's meant to shepherd the community, which means he may deviate from the literal letter of the law, even without telling us how he's doing that. And the the same example of Chal of Yisrael and and, and, uh, the other examples where he does this. I I think in our case, you have another example of where the the Divrechaim is understanding that, that his impression of the elevated status of the Jew his Hasidic perspective, of which so much of it is that the Jew needs to recognize how great he is and see himself as a being intended to be closer to God. So these rulings are not so much coming from, it says in the Torah that it's not allowed, as much as as a Jew who received the Torah, you have to look for not what's allowed and what's not allowed, but what will keep you close to God and what will sort of the spirit of the law. And and you see the fact that he's able to do this. I think that that would have an effect. I, 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 you know, no one's going to say that Ramosha gave this ruling because he saw this ruling of the Divrechaim. But I think overall, seeing that the poskim will sometimes come out with a ruling not based necessarily on the literal letter of the law, but based on a perspective of who the Jewish people are and where the Jewish people should be. So I, I want to compare this to Ramosha later in the 20th century and um, refusing to permit Shabbos lights. And as he said, the reason is because even though you're not technically breaking any laws, you're kind of losing the spirit of the law. And it's not very Shabbos dig, and you can run your whole factory on Shabbos it, it, uh, on a timer. And you kind of miss the point but it's permitted according to the letter of the law. Aren't you a posek? Aren't you supposed to give us the lines of the halacha? And if you're if you can't find any any sugya and shas to use to prohibit um, to, the um, Shabbos lights, then you you should permit it. And the answer is that no, is that poskim have the ability to to recognize the needs of the community as a quote unquote halachic. Factor. I think that's what he's doing. And I think you need someone like the Divre Chaim, who is this great, great tzaddik in terms of, and, and we know he was he was very strong in this area of Tznias, and he fought very hard, and he's the leader of the Hasidic Rebbes. You know, the, the, I don't think there's any of the Hasidic Rebbes who, who stood as strong against the concept of a shetel and other kinds of hair coverings that were, that were expanding during his times, and he stood up against them. So I, I think that him seeing that as not two separate entities, which is I'm a rebbe and I'm going to give rulings for my community and then I'm going to give halachic rulings for the world based on the halacha, I think he realizes that his perspective 
on, on, on hashkafa for what's best for the Jewish people can also be used in halacha. And I think that many of the poskim who come after him who do this are allowed to do so because of him and others like him who would use these as halachic factors. So I think the, the tshuva itself is beautiful. Uh, and the, the, the idea that we get from it, which is this, the Jew is, has to be on a higher state and higher expectations. And somehow that that's not a degrading of the nations of the world. But then again, for the Jews, he goes to a very far place, as you're pointing out, where even if it's no longer being used, he still, it's goyish. It's goyish and it's not for Jews. And in fact, according to some opinions, even if not trying to emulate them, unless it's mamish for business, like the doctor's uniform, we just just cut it out because it's goyish. I, I think that perspective of is fits very well and I believe comes from his Hasidic perspective on the role of the Jew in the world. The bridge that you just made between the Divrachayim and Ramosha, I think is a rickety one, uh, somewhat. I don't know, again, Benny, you're having a little bit of a trouble here with your with your mic, Benny. It's coming yeah. out. Yeah, Benny, your mic is coming out a little bit schwach, but... Uh, uh, well, my, my reception is not great over here. Um, I, I was wondering, it, it seems analogous to, to similar Machleikerson by, uh, by Lois Silbash, uh, whether... Uh, whether uh, both of those things, whether it has to be the entire uniform or it's just one article of clothing, and uh, and and similarly, if uh, if if the fact that uh, some didn't do it somewhere is sufficient, or it uh, or even if Goyim do it is sufficient to establish it as uh, as as Levushish or Levushish respectively, and so on. Um, uh, I, I, I would always say, almost expect that, though, right? That that you would see a similar kind of approach towards what's considered the guy's clothing versus Jews' clothing, and then what's considered men's clothing versus women's clothing. You would expect some crossover, right? Yes, yes, yes. I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. Right, right, but 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 Benny, but again, Rabbi Khan and I think might want to comment here as well. But I think that there's a Ramosha at least would quote Chazal in of Milsa or something like that in terms of Shabbos. In, in other yeah, words... Yeah, no, I, I know we're short on time, but I, your, your critique is well made. I, I think you're right in that, you know, trying to make um, a direct connection between this example and that example is going to be weak, and I, rickety, I think, is fair. But, but I mean just in general, that kind of license to say, you know what, even if I can't find a technical letter of the law to prohibit it, but but there's, it's not the fifth chelik HaShulchan Aruch, right, which would be Midos, but it, it's almost like the, the, um, the first, it's, it's the, it's the zero chelik What's that, Rav Moshe always, whether it's about marijuana, whatever it is, Rav Moshe comes up with some sort of inventive chap to be matzikit. Sometimes it's something you never saw in any other basic, right? Like Zoyla, right. like like with the like, like he holds taking drugs is a chaluk of Ben Sayer and other things. We've talked about that, of course, Kalman and I, we discussed it. So Ramosha was not just, I'm not going to tell you why. Ramosha uh, in many ways, and, and again, would not do this type of thing, which I think is really tethered to the Alter Rebbe's uh, discussion of a, a tzaddik having a neshama clovius, right? Right. right. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I, I wouldn't make the comparison to the examples where the Debrechaim just shuts down the opposition and gives no reason. Right. I, and, I, and, I, I'd say more in places where he does, but you're right. There is a difference. Right. And especially if you take a look at the what I always think is one of the greatest chuvas about the difference between Hasidic Shapsak 
and with Bishop Sak, is the Avni Nezer coming down hard against the Berjaner, against Rav Sholem Mordechai Cohen, the Shodron, so to speak, who was, in a sense, Poisek Adar. And he says, you're going to tell yourself the Derechai? In other words, the, the Marsham was Matir, uh, uh, machine Matzas, right? And he therefore, and he, and he, and he, and he, and he spelled out the, his reasons for Hetairim. And the Avninezer sort of like gets his hair up and says, you think that this is Tama Machlekes between uh, uh, equals? Do you, do, you, do you think the Berjaner is even, he touches the the Divrechayim, right? So you you have this, you know, taking out the Tzadik card, the Kaddish card that the Tzadikim do to shut down the debate. That's something that Rav Moshe would ne- again, the, the modern place yeah, would I, never but, do. Yeah, mat- that's Matzis. That's machine Matzis. I think that's right. a signature but, to the, but, the, but the Abdenazer feels that the reason why, how could you argue with him? What do you think? No, I'm, saying, is, I'm saying that the Dibre Chaim didn't give a reason by Machine Mouse. Right. And, and, an right. And therefore, right. the Abdenazer didn't give it anything. But the Abdenazer felt that when, when, when a Malach Elokim goes down to this world and tells us halacha, how could a Ben Enoish, how could a, a, a like, 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 like the Brajaner, the Paisik, even begin to open his mouth? Like, like, who do you think you're talking to? You, you think you're a crap? And I think that's an attitude that is specifically chassidish, which you don't really find any sort of... Uh, I, I don't know, I don't know. I do I do, do find amongst Litvish and Postkim that they'll be like, you can't argue because it's a nerd to be Yehuda. Right? So you, you'll you'll have that kind of... No, it's a nerd to be Yehuda. Right? There are many who take that... that where, where is Rav Moshe? Rav Moshe really is the master. Which always a user. Moshe doesn't budge from Archasulchan. You saw it by Rav David and also uh, his son also of Archasulchan is Paisik Achran. He won't budge from that, and that's it. Not Mishnabur or others. That those are clearly psak. As far as these other issues, you see across the board. I don't know if it's fair to say it's rubbish. There's no question about it that every person paskins will see what's driving him, Lefee, what he grew up with, Lefee, his experiences, Lefee, what he's passionate about. I, I was just busy writing about the Sergim, the whole Sergim, a, a Sergim is classical. Those who are mad, they were trying to desperately give prognosis to farmers in Eretz Yisrael, and those who asked it were Pufakir, and, and a lot of things like that. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's the Rebish Kite, it was definitely Kanois, Mishimach is not different. Every one of these topics are all topics that where people... Chaim Tzanza wrote was obvious. He was saying, I don't want anybody to come afterwards with a finger and say, no, do a stuskimate and mail now between Matarik. He didn't want to say a reason for that reason. He was smart. He, he wanted to make sure that it remains also. And he wanted to be taken seriously in that factor. But is that different than all other Psakim and so many other emotion? His coolest also was passionate about his coolest and he cared about that because he held it that. This is a coolant that we have to stick for, and, we, and it's important that Asayis Chomis and Asayis Kulis. Rav Moshe does not do this, does not play a Tom Komus. I've never seen that he says, Look, I don't want to, like, he sometimes says, I don't want to be Myrich, that Arifus is not going to help. But he does. Right, but he doesn't say. Well, other Tuvas refused to write about in his ignorance. He wrote and wrote and wrote, spent his whole life writing. Right, well, and, and, other and, things and, and some like, of them probably should never have gotten the. Thank you, thanks again. It should be a schus for, as we said, Rafuas, and for my mother, uh, Allah Shalom. Uh, I'm sure she would have been very happy with this Pilpul uh, Chaverim, especially growing up in communist Russia uh, and having to to replant herself as a Yiddish uh, Freud with Ashetel and Azach in America. 
it's quite, quite uh, a big covet for you, for her that we had this year. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.